It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody could ever tell you that you couldn't do it, because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. And welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com and the mobile app. You can also hear us on various podcast platforms. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we will recap Tuesday evening's practice. We're also going to tell you all the details that came about from the latest media sessions with Joe Judge last night, as well as Andrew Thomas, Lorenzo Carter, and Golden Tate, who spoke to the media today, as well as some team news, a transaction or two to note for the New York Giants. Multiple ways for you to interact with us here on the program. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Or you could choose social media, hashtag Giants Chat. You can interact directly with the two of us at Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. Paul, how's everything on your end today? Good afternoon, Lance. You know, the Giants are going through this one-hour walkthrough under really dreary skies here in northern New Jersey. And I think, you know, it's a little bit of a change-up after what we've had just great, great weather the last couple of days when they were able to get out there in full pads and actually have some thuds and hits. Uh, That was a lot of fun, I have to be honest with you, and today's kind of a letdown, but things will ramp up again tomorrow. Well, it's nice to see that the temperatures have cooled down a little bit, too. I think you would be relieved in terms of your power walks. And given the (laughs) humidity that we've all been dealing with in the New York, New Jersey area, it's at least nice that Mother Nature has provided some relief over the last 24 hours. But to your point, and Joe Judge even mentioned this, Paul, when he recently spoke to the media, he said, based on the schedule that they're going to follow for the most part during camp, Saturday's the day off for them. Then they come back, they work hard on Sunday, they work hard on Monday, and that's why he wanted to give the team an evening practice on Tuesday just to give them a little bit more of an opportunity to rest up their bodies. So now that you're really in the middle of the week, it's understandable and it makes sense that today it's just a typical walkthrough before they amp things back up on Thursday. Well, if you look at it scientifically, Lance, it looks as though he's trying to give them some semblance of a physical schedule that will look something like what he'll have during the regular season. As you know, most coaches will give their players off on Tuesdays, right? Yep. And then there's going to be a travel day or a walkthrough on Saturday. So those are the two days where their bodies usually rest up and heal as we progress through the NFL schedule. So I'm looking at what he's trying to do here during training camp, and I'm sensing something similar to that, not exactly necessarily, but I I think he's trying to get them into, I, I don't know if work habits are the right terms to use, but maybe that's what it is. You got to get used to a normal routine eventually because a lot of these players have not been in pads for months, as Lorenzo Carter mentioned when he spoke to the media, and we'll certainly hear from him shortly. So it's understandable that Judge wants to get the players back to a routine. Remember, we talked about this all offseason, Paul. Players, coaches, executives even, they're all creatures of habit. Announcers too, Lance. Announcers too. (laughs) Point well taken. And we have our schedules built around a 12-month calendar. And... Once all of a sudden you throw a wrench into that and you interrupt it, now everybody's got to take a step back and adjust. So the whole point is let's get guys acclimated to what they used to doing over the course of training camp and the season so it's as close to normal as humanly possible. Now, before we get into some details from Tuesday's practice, Paul, I want to start with some news related to the Giants roster. Number one, we talked about this on Monday. Graham Gano has officially been signed added to the roster. He's out there with the team during the course of their walkthrough. So they now have the former Panthers kicker back in the fold. But I think more important, and this is the unfortunate nature of camp, the Giants have put their first player on injured reserve, and that is wide receiver Cody Core. He tore his Achilles tendon during yesterday's practice. And Paul, this was somebody that was a huge, valuable component on special teams. He led the team with eight special teams tackles. And how many times did we bring up his name in terms of hustling down the field and making those key plays to not give the opposition favorable field position? Well, let's just say this. Nate Ebner, who we kind of thought was going to take Michael Thomas's place, 
now really has to shoulder a major load because the Giants' top two special teamers from last season are no longer on the team. Well, core is, but he's on IR. You get the point. It simply means that one of these other guys, one of these rookies in particular, or maybe one of these undrafted guys who's looking for a spot on the depth chart is going to have to show this coaching staff something over the next few weeks that says, hey, I can help be that guy. Please put me on the roster because I'll get down there. I'll make those tackles. I'll make sure I down the ball inside the five-yard line. If somebody wants to step up and take that job, it's there to be had. And it was such a critical facet of the team last year. So you're huge. Right. They are going to be looking for somebody in particular to step up. And more often than not, Paul, the young guys, right, are the ones that fill out the special teams rosters. So I can't think of a better opportunity, just like we were talking about the secondary earlier this week. You know when somebody ahead of you on the depth chart, unfortunately, is going to be out for a period of time or the season, which is the case for Cody Core. no better opportunity and time to then prove to the coaching staff that you deserve to now move up the depth chart. And guys may always look for opportunities on offense and defense, but sometimes the way you carve out a place and make a name for yourself is as the gunner or as a key guy in terms of hustling down the field to make a tackle in the open field on special teams. And right now, I think a lot of these young players have a great shot at proving to the coaching staff that they're worthy of some of these roles. Remember, it seems as though it's going to be Joe Judge's philosophy that understanding that defense may be behind offense and special teams, that he's going to want to win special teams every single weekend and win a lot of games on offense as well. The question's going to be, how does the defense fare? And that may ultimately decide what the Giants' one-loss record is. But in terms of unit play, he wants to win 16 out of 16 on special teams. That is his bread and butter. Uh, losing a guy like Cody Core is a significant blow unless they can find somebody who comes out of the shadows and becomes just as dangerous as he is in terms of tilting the field. You know the judge has a good eye for those kinds of guys. Uh, obviously with the Patriots, he had a terrific special teams core up there when he worked with those folks. Maybe there's somebody he already has his eye on here, or maybe there's somebody that he can mold over the next few weeks and coach up to get to that point. Uh, bottom line is, I've got a lot of confidence that Judge will either ID that guy or grow that guy because this is what Joe Judge does. Well, and I think the other thing that's related to what you were just talking about, let's bring Thomas McGahee, Paul, into the equation. Sure. Think about all of the players that he had to shuffle in and out of the lineup, right, over the last two seasons. And I know I'm chuckling. I'm not trying to make light of it, but it got to the point where it was a bit comical because it seemed as if on a week-to-week -week basis – you're losing defensive players who are also key components on special teams. And Thomas McGahee has to all of a sudden bring in a new face, get him ready to go. How many different return men did they utilize, Paul, last season, right? So the reason I bring that up is he's used to this. And most special teams coordinators have to be used to that. But this goes back to the relationship between Joe Judge and Thomas McGahee. Between the two of them, the experiences that they've had in the NFL, where you know you have to be on top of your game, you have to be used to shuffling personnel, I think that also bodes well that at least they've got three weeks now to determine who can fill in for Cody Corey here. Well, let's talk about some candidates for just one second before we move on. Uh, could Chris Williamson, a seventh-round draft pick, nudge his way onto the roster by showing he can be that guy? What about a guy like uh, Drayvon Askew-Henry, who came over from the XFL's Guardians? Maybe he is going to be that guy. Maybe one of the receivers, much like Cody Core was, steps up. Uh, maybe maybe Derek Dillon? He's small, but you know he's faster than lightning. Maybe Derek Dillon is the guy who can down the ball inside the five-yard line because he beats everybody downfield. It remains to be seen. 
Yeah, I think you bring up a number of intriguing names. There's no doubt about it. Whether or not these guys are ideal, depending on the playing time, Austin Mack and Benjamin Victor, two also wide receivers that were undrafted rookies that are trying to solidify roster spots. You know, those are two guys that come to mind. David Sills is somebody who was briefly on the roster last year. I'm just throwing out guys on the back of the depth chart. Yeah, well, the thing is, those guys don't have the 4-2s speed that Dylan has, And I agree with you, but, but... Just overall on special teams, though, I mean, just talking about finding a way to prove to the coaching staff that you have value beyond just being a receiver. Remember, as you well know, Paul, if you're the fifth or the sixth wideout, you got to do something on specials, especially no if you want to get a jersey. So, you know, all of these guys belong in the conversation to at least maybe move up a little bit in the minds of the coaching staff. And then, of course, the cornerbacks who you threw out, whether it be a Chris Williamson and Corey Ballantyne is another player. I think a lot depends on what they envision on defense some of these players doing, Paul. You know, that's the other mm-hmm. aspect of this. If you think he's going to be a guy that you're going to utilize on defense with a bulk of the reps, you're probably not going to want to expose him maybe to more injury and hits on special teams. You know, there's probably two other names as long as we're throwing a bunch of guys up there against the wall. Alex Bachman and C.J. Yep. Board. Now, now Bachman is a slot receiver by trade who has really done a good job of running routes and showing some quickness and good hands so far during training camp. And Board, who came in only a couple of days ago, remember he had a cup of coffee with Jacksonville, he has caught everything thrown at him. I mean, you talk about uh, sticky hands. I don't think I've seen him drop anything that's come his way, and he's even made some pretty nice one-handed catches as well. So those guys you know, look as though they'll be very intriguing, and I, I easily see them, at the very least, being strong practice squad candidates for their receiving skills. But now if they can prove they can be uh, valuable on special teams, all of a sudden they're on the 53. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live, Wednesday's edition. So that's the latest in terms of transactions of note. Now let's shift gears to Tuesday's practice. And, Paul, by far the biggest storyline was the physical component of Tuesday's practice. And one of the things that I think is important to note, before we talk about specifically the one drill that stole all the headlines where you had a number of offensive and defensive players going mano a mano, one-on-one right near the goal line, five yards apart, it goes back to the conversation, Paul, that I believe you and I had on Monday, so this ties in very nicely, where we were talking about if you have 14 padded practices and you don't have any preseason games, the importance of the coaching staff maximizing practice opportunities to simulate game-style action as much as possible is critical, okay? And it may be stating the obvious, but we've got to repeat it over and over again because the luxuries that coaches and players normally had in a typical offseason, you got to throw that out the window. So the reason I'm bringing that up is I think a little was made out of practice yesterday where it stole the headlines, which I don't think necessarily tells the whole story, which is let's not overlook the fact that it's a necessity to ramp up to physicality as quickly as possible given the clock is ticking and there's no preseason games. You know what, Lance? I guess everybody's entitled to have an opinion on this, and there's going to be 50% of the people who are for it and 50% of the people probably who are against it, right? I mean, it all depends on what angle of the prism are you looking through. Now, look, it's no secret. I'm an old-school guy, and look, I covered Parcells, all right? And I watched what he did on a daily basis. So when I see physicality of the nature that I saw yesterday, that didn't phase me in the least. I mean, it was different because I hadn't seen anything quite like that in a number of years. Most of the writers who were on the beat probably only know Parcells by his name, They were not around during those practices. And I think that's one of the reasons why it was like, oh, oh, wow, oh, really? I can't believe he did that. You know, these guys, you had sworn that they just saw Ghidra the three-headed monster land onto the middle of the practice field. They were just (laughs) so shocked and in awe by what they had seen. And I'm like, well, we're just turning back the clock, fellas. I mean, that's all we're doing here. Uh, so I get their reactions because they're going to be flabbergasted by stuff that they have no frame of reference for. 
Now, Joe Judge was specifically asked, of course, about that drill. So let's hear what Joe Judge had to say because he provided some nice perspective and tapped into his days in New England. This is Joe Judge on the one-on-one tackling drill that stole the show in Tuesday's practice. Listen, we can't get the guys ready to drive on I-95 by riding back roads. If we think the Pittsburgh Steelers are coming in here to hug us, we're all sadly mistaken. So we have to train these guys in a physical manner to make it safe for them to play the game the way the game's played. And to answer your question, Art, I've been doing that drill personally within progress I've been in for the better part of a decade. Okay? It's a safe drill. It's a controlled space. All right, it's how we can teach guys to, all right, safely have collisions because that's what the game's going to be is a collision game. It reinforces technique. We can teach off it on the tape. We do that in training camp. We've also done that throughout the season at different programs I've been a part of. So as Joe Judge just mentioned, he's bringing over something from his New England days, which I don't think should surprise anyone else. And one of the interesting things that he talked about before we get to the beginning of his quote, which I loved about the I-95 and the Steelers, Paul, is the technique aspect. Because once again, if you're not having the preseason games and there's only so many padded practices, you want to make sure that you find the safe way for players to practice technique. And that's what he was emphasizing, that this drill combines both. It kills two birds with one stone, for the lack of a better phrase, where you're practicing the technique, but you're also doing it in a safe manner so that you're not exposing your own guys to injury. You know, I had not had a name for that drill. I just called it an, an isolated uh, an isolated tackle drill, and I, you know, because it's one-on-one. One offensive guy against one defensive guy. Ball is right in front of the two fellas in between them. Uh, the offensive guy picks up the ball and then runs head-on into the defensive guy who was trying to tackle him again with proper technique, as you just stated a moment ago. That's the whole point of the drill. The offensive guy has to hold on to the ball, and he has to try to break the tackle. The defensive guy has to try to either strip him or stone him right in his tracks. Now, I've heard some people say that's called the nutcracker drill. Yeah. I've heard some other people say you could call it something akin to the tunnel of truth, which is something that other amateur teams have run, although they usually have uh, two other players on the field who are blocking each other and kind of you then have to work around them before you have the contact. So I simply call it an isolated, an isolation tackle drill. I think that really gives people a little bit of a better idea of what it is when you hear those words. It gives you a mental picture. I will say this. Joe Judge is clearly an old school guy who believes that you have to harden the turtle's shell before you get to the regular season or you will wind up paying the price once the ball is kicked off. I totally understand that. And to be honest with you, I totally agree with him. I think that we've had video game practices, we've had flag football practices now for much too long in this league. Now, were there times when the guys did two-a-days with full contact and full pads back in the 80s that were overboard? Sure they were. I won't deny that. Could they have found a happy medium where you could still toughen the tortoise's shell? Absolutely we could have. But we've gone so far in the other direction that when people don't see flag football at practice, you get oohs and ahs at practice from those observers. Because they're so rare, and it's almost as if it's seeing something that you haven't seen in decades. But also keep in mind... Remember, during the course of the regular season, the media is not allowed at practice other than just to see who's working at the early stages of practice. So that's another reason why it's so rare that certain individuals are seeing these drills because you're only exposed to it during a very small sample size over the summer. And also the sample size is even smaller this year, given the fact that the offseason was interrupted. But I also liked how Joe Judge started off his last comment that we just played where he said, and this goes into your point about the lack of toughness being promoted and preached across the NFL, the Steelers are coming in week one to MetLife Stadium, and that's also known as an extremely physical-minded team. And yeah, he's right. They're not coming in to just hug and play two-hand touch, okay? Paul, this is a team that had 54 sacks last season. That was number one (laughs) in the NFL. I was doing more number crunching. They're bringing back 46 and a half of those sacks. 
from last season. Okay, do the math. 46 and a half of the 54 sacks are returning. And oh, by the way, Bud Dupree and TJ Watt each had double-digit sack seasons and combined for 26 of them. So they understand, Joe Judge understands perfectly, that right out of the gates, there's going to be quite the test for the Giants. And in order to maximize the reps and get this team ready to go, yeah, he's not going to practice hugging and rainbows and lollipops and singing kumbaya to take another one of his phrases in the early stages of training camp. Lance, Joe Judge knows that his offense is not going to just be facing Batman and Robin. They'll be looking at the whole Justice League of a pass rush. I mean, these Steelers can get after you. So there is no question that he is going to go overboard to try to make sure that his guys don't get caught like a deer in headlights on that opening game against Pittsburgh. I, I just think this, okay? He is a culture shock for those folks who are naive enough not to understand what old school football is all about. But let's face it, he's coming from the Belichick Saban tree. If you had your eyes closed and did not expect something along these lines, then you were just being very foolish, weren't you? No doubt about it. Now, related to the physical element of practice, Lorenzo Carter did take part in that one-on-one drill that we were just talking about, and he also was asked about the physical approach that Joe Judge has taken to the beginning of practices here as they begin the padded session. And this is what Lorenzo Carter said his biggest takeaway is of the physical practices. It's been a big emphasis that the way we practice and the physicality we play with in practice is going to be big because there are no preseason games. Um, whatever we do now and whatever foundations we set is what's going to show up on game day. I mean, that's the physicality. That's the difference that we're having to bring this year and the difference that we're trying to bring. We're trying to be physical, trying to embrace the culture and just do what the, what the coaches ask. Trust it. And Lorenzo Carter pretty much echoing the sentiments of Joe Judge. He understands the clock is ticking, and the team right now realizes that they have to take advantage of these limited practices. And Lorenzo Carter, here we go, Paul, year number three, okay? He's being put under the microscope. He's under the spotlight. The early results of practices, I think, have been encouraging, especially with him going up against Andrew Thomas and some of the other offensive linemen. But this is a big year for him. It may go without saying, but it can't be emphasized enough that they're expecting Lorenzo Carter to take his game to a new level. And if between Marcus Golden, Kyler Fackrell, and Lorenzo Carter, you can have a nice rotation between those three, you know, that's when all of a sudden you start to talk about the Giants' defense being able to exceed expectations and helping out this young secondary. Lance, think about this for just a second, all right? Lorenzo Carter was a third-round draft choice. And what do they tell you about third-round draft choices? They need to be starters or, at the very least, significant role players or rotational players by the time they get to year number three. So he's on schedule. Now let's just see if he can make it happen. I mean, Lorenzo Carter was not drafted where he was out of Georgia to be a guy who's only going to be a smaller part-time player or a really good special teams guy. No, he was drafted to become a significant staple in this defense. Now, he has played pretty well his first two seasons and shown flashes that he could become somewhat of an impact player. But now he's got to be full throttle. It's got to be full speed ahead. And by listening to him during his media availability, he seems as though he is prepared all offseason to be that very guy. And that perfectly ties into what we want to play now from Lorenzo Carter because he was asked about his approach to this offseason, Paul, what he had been focusing on, what he had been looking to improve. This is what Carter had to say. It's been a big emphasis that the way we practice and the physicality we play with in practice is going to be big because there are no preseason games. Um, whatever we do now and whatever foundations we set is what's going to show up on game day. I mean, that's the physicality. That's the difference that we're having to bring this year and the difference that we're trying to bring. We're trying to be physical, trying to embrace the culture and just do what the, what the coaches ask. Trust it. Lorenzo Carter also had emphasized really refining my game. Like I said, working hands, working power, and working angles, really, because 
a lot of times it comes down to what attack angles you have. And that's one thing I saw a lot last year and that coach just pointed out to me when we got in the lab this year. You can tell I'm not the most technically sound person on this broadcast. Right hey, we now. got the point across, Paul. That's all that counts. The all finished right. result. There we you go. finally got to the bottom of what Lorenzo Carter was working on this <laughs> offseason. And that's what exactly I was about to kick to. And you beat me to it as he talked about the fundamentals and the techniques that he had been working on. And we're going to hear similar points from Andrew Thomas in a little bit, but this is where it was on these young players all offseason, Paul, when they were away from the team and they were only focused on Zoom meetings, what they were doing to take their game to the next level. And I guess what I'm trying to get to is what we see from Lorenzo Carter this season, what we see from X-Man, these young pass rushers who are going to be called on to do more this year, a lot of it is going to be dependent on what they did, in my estimation, Paul, when they were away from the team. Because you can only make up for so much lost time in 14 padded practices. True. What they did by themselves, that I think is going to tell us whether or not they're going to reap the rewards this season. Well, specifically, I'm thinking Carter adds power, and obviously he did a lot of film study to figure out some of the different little tweaks that he could make to his game, specifically on the angles. But I also believe that when you look at the X-Man, this is a guy who needs better pre-snap recognition of plays. He had a lot of trouble diagnosing running plays last season. And then on top of that, he physically needed to get stronger. Now, I talked to him right after the season was over, and he had already said to me, my plan is I have to get stronger. I know I need more power. I've got to be able to hold up. So I, I don't have any doubt, you know, that, that Zimenez did what he had to do. And as we've seen him work during these early practices, it does look like he's a little bit more assertive and, and a little bit stronger uh, the only time will tell when they, they're in live snap situations because, let's face it, again, Lance, we, we can't stress this enough. What's happening in August is not necessarily going to be exactly what we see in September. And, Paul, I could not lay out what you just said better. And I'm glad you emphasized that because I understand we're all yearning for football right now. We're all in the same boat, okay? Nobody's on a separate island, even Paul Dettino, okay? I promise you people. But it's also important to not take one or two padded practices, as you just hit on, Paul, and run with it, that, oh, what we're seeing now is absolutely going to translate. We're going to tell a lot once the games start, okay? Now it's encouraging to see, hey, who looks good in the early going, who may be showing consistency on the practice field. But remember, they're getting a lot of work, Paul, against one another, and that's great, but it's more important to see what Andrew Thomas could do against T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree than it is whether or not he knows the nuances of the game of Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez. That's the most important aspect. Getting used to your teammates is great, and having them throw different looks your way, once again, all productive measures to move a player's development along. But you're only going to really tell how effective a player is based on what he picks up on film and whether or not he could execute it against an unfamiliar opponent. And we're not going to be able to tell that until we get into probably about the first quarter of the season. Well, there's another issue here specifically about the edge rushers, Lance. And if you bear with me a second, I I do think that it bears mention. Think about this. You're a young edge rusher. You're Zimenez. Let's just take him right off the top, all right? And you want to hone your skills, and you're going into year two, and you'd like to get better. Well, who are you practicing against? Well, if you're on one side, you might be going against Andrew Thomas. If you're on the other side, you might be going against Cameron Fleming. Well, the good news is that Fleming's a veteran, and he does have a bag of tricks, but he's also not the highest level of competition that you're going to face this year. When you're facing Thomas, he's a rookie. Now, I get the fact that he's physically imposing, But in terms of the mental part of the game and the tricks of the trade that, you know, Zimenez needs to overcome, Thomas does not have a full war chest of those things available to him. So how much is Thomas going to sharpen Zimenez's skills? I'm not sure there's a lot there to do. I would think Fleming could provide more of that. And the rest of the other tackles who are there, whether it's Gates or whether it's Eric Smith, you know, uh, to be perfectly frank with you, 
these guys don't necessarily have an accomplished set of tools in their chest to make Zimenez better either. So I will tell you, there's a bit of a concern on my part. This is where Nate Solder could have been incredibly valuable. Because imagine a guy with his experience, okay, playing offensive tackle against some of these guys who now can be coached up and taught the tricks of the trade, like this is what I can do to you. And if you try this, I'm going to try this. So you better have a counter. It reminds me of a few seasons ago, Paul, based on what you're describing, when the Giants' defensive line had JPP, Olivier Vernon, and Snacks, right? But then, you know, there were still some question marks about the offensive line, and you wonder, okay, the offensive line is getting tested, right, in practice, because you certainly like to go up against Snacks, Vernon, and JPP. But then the problem is, is the defense getting enough tests from the offensive line for what they're going to be Mm -hmm. seeing on a consistent basis. Well, Lance, you've heard the phrase, I'm sure, many times. Coaches have uttered, iron sharpens iron. Absolutely. Right? Okay, I've got news for you. Aluminum does not sharpen iron. It just doesn't. And, And honestly, that would be my concern right now, is that what we're seeing during camp may not be, unfortunately, it's because... You have what you have. They may not have the accomplished veteran experience who's got those tricks to raise a guy like Zimenez to the next level. He may not see veteran savvy on a regular basis at a high level until that Pittsburgh game on September 14th. And that's a heck of a time to see it. Yeah, and it's also a heck of a first test to be going up against because the Steelers have a veteran offensive line, and they also have a number of veterans on their defensive front. Now, speaking of technique and sharpening iron, that brings us to the Giants' offensive line. Andrew Thomas spoke to the media for the first time since padded practices began, and he, like Lorenzo Carter, says he's been working and honing on his technique And this is what he says he's picked up from conversations with Mark Colombo, the offensive line coach, as to where he needs to make strides. So for me, the biggest thing right now, especially in pass pro, is my hands. From college, I had a bad habit of having my hands outside my frame. So I'm working on keeping my hands inside, getting a good strike. And then in a run game, just making sure um, I keep my feet, um, keep a good base, because sometimes I get a little too excited trying to get into the block, just making sure I keep a good base each time. And this relates to what we were just talking about, Paul, because you could argue, well, if you're a young offensive lineman and you're going up against a veteran defensive pass rusher, whether it be a linebacker or an end, you could then pick up some tricks from them, right? Because Marcus Golden could tell Andrew Thomas, hey, you continue to do this, I'm going to pick up on it in a game, and you're going to be beat. Whereas if you're going up against, Paul, a younger pass rusher, who is not as polished, there's only so much give and take that each of them could give one another because they haven't barely seen many NFL reps at this point. I couldn't agree with you more. And that's that's exactly the kinds of intangibles that we sometimes talk about. You can talk all you like about the talent that the guy brings to the table on game day, but what are the things that he brings to the table during the course of the week that will actually make him a better teammate because he's helping guys around him raise their level of play too. Golden Tate also spoke to the media as we have been monitoring the matchups between the wide receivers and the secondary members. And this is now a new offense for Golden Tate as Jason Garrett now running the show. And there are a lot of new faces on offense as well. And as this entire group is trying to digest the scheme, Golden Tate was asked, well, Based on what happened last season versus what's being implemented now, what makes you think that things are going to be different and more consistent? This is what Golden State said he's picked up on. The attention to detail that we are um, going over as we install it, um, you know, and I can speak, you know, Jason Garrett shows up every day and I keep saying this where he's abundantly clear in what he expects from us. And our standard is very, very, very high that we're all chasing every single day. Um, But the detail, uh, no matter if it's a walkthrough or in the meeting room 
or wherever it is, we are paying attention to detail. And, and just speaking as a receiver, you know, you know, no matter where it is, we're in a, the correct stance. No matter where it is, or a walkthrough or full speed, uh, you know, we're getting our steps down correctly in our routes. Um, and things like that, I think, are going to make a, a huge difference, um, you know, come September once we start playing. So just the attention, the attention to detail, I think, is what's going to, you know, really help us out this year. And I think it also helps that Tyke Tolbert, their wide receivers coach, is still around. So the fundamentals that he was preaching, Paul, last season is not necessarily going to change. But Jason Garrett is a former head coach, okay? So here's where his presence not only helps Joe Judge, but also helps his connection with the players on offense because Garrett has played the quarterback position. He knows what it takes to implement an offense. He knows what it takes to call plays and be on the same page with his players. So the fact that you now have another lens who's held various roles across the NFL landscape, you could tell a veteran like Golden Tate realizes that, you know, he's bringing a little bit something different to the table now. You know, it shouldn't surprise you that Jason Garrett gets those kinds of comments out of a veteran like Golden Tate because, once again, what are we talking about? We're talking about a coach's connection. Jason Garrett was the quarterback's coach for Nick Saban when he was the head coach with the Miami Dolphins. Don't think for a second that he was not influenced by Coach Saban. And much like Coach Saban has influenced Joe Judge, well, Jason Garrett got a lot of that influence as well. Never mind the fact that he comes from a pro football family. And, of course, his father, who had been head coach at Columbia at one point, scouted for the Cowboys, was was a defensive coordinator for the Giants back in the early 70s. I mean, you know, it's like, didn't you guys look at the advertisements? The, the people who were surprised by any of this, it just boggles my mind because the billboard basically told you what you were getting. Yeah, the resume speaks for itself when it comes to Jason Garrett. You're talking about somebody that has been around the game of football. Forget the NFL level, whether it be the collegiate level, high school football, you name it, that he's seen his fair share of schemes. He's seen his fair share of players. He's been through his fair share of camps that he knows what it takes to get a team ready. But the other thing that I think is connected to this is what's also noticeable during the course of practice the interaction between the positional coaches and the players, but also the interaction between Joe Judge and his players. You know, there was one clip that jumped out to me, Paul, where guys are running around with the football and Judge is trying to poke out the ball as he's getting near players and greeting them and, you know, giving them words of encouragement or also trying to fine-tune their technique. So he is very much engaged in this entire roster as opposed to specifically one facet, which is, of course, what you want to see from a head coach. Well, first of all, he's very vocal. He's very energized. He's very intense. He brings all of three of those traits to every practice session that I have seen. He makes sure that he's running around all the time. I mean, maybe he and I should go on a power walk competition. I'm, I'm, you <laughs> oh, know, that would be some scene. Look, he wants to challenge me. I'm ready to go. Uh, you know, I will tell you, he he does want to get his hands dirty. He He's not afraid to have sweat on his brow. And all of his coaches are exactly the same way. you got to see Mark Colombo getting right in there with the offensive lineman as if he's the sixth lineman trying to show these guys some things with the punch or with their footwork or their balance. I mean, yesterday, last night, after the offensive and defensive line did their one-on-one drills, defensive line coach Sean Spencer, remember, Coach Chaos, who is always very vocal and always very animated, after they were done, he went over to the offensive linemen and started slapping hands with each one of those guys. And they were the ones going against his unit. That's the kind of involvement we're talking about with this coaching staff. You brought up Jason Garrett's connections to various individuals such as Nick Saban and Parcell's name you brought up. Well, where do you think Mark Colombo comes from? The Parcells school of thought because no Parcells doubt. was the one that gave him an opportunity in Dallas after he cut ties with Chicago. So he, there you go. Things come full circle here, Paul. He owes his football life yeah. to Parcells because, as he has told us so many times, he had been through some very significant injuries with the Bears. In fact, at one point, doctors told him he had like a 5% chance of playing football ever again. 
and Parcells rescued him and gave him a chance, signing him to the Cowboys. And he wound up starting at right tackle for five years for those guys. And then after that, Parcells had gone into the front office with the Dolphins and brought Colombo there for a year, and he started for one year at right tackle with Miami. So, I mean, to say that he idolizes and looks up to Parcells is an understatement. Somebody that certainly understands the grind of football. There's no doubt about that, and hopefully that can rub off on the Giants' offensive line in a positive way, considering there's some young guys on the line. There's also youth on the back end of the receiver depth chart, and Golden Tate was asked about what he's seen out of some of these players that are competing for the fifth, sixth, and maybe even some practice squad opportunities at the receiver position. This is what Golden Tate said I'm about his early observations. These young guys have been able to, to learn the material, but also apply it to um, on the field. Um, you know, with these guys, these young guys haven't gotten OTAs um, in, in the offseason work. You've, we've only had Zoom. So for those guys to be able to digest all that stuff and then actually go out and perform it on the field, I've been impressed. Um, you know, in my opinion, this is a really good young class that we have of receivers coming in that I'm excited about to, to help grow. Uh, to help them help the team and you know we're going to take it from there but uh you know we're just taking it day by day working on our our tools uh, to to get better and this goes back to some of the names that we were bringing up when we talked about the Cody Core injury how he's going on IR with the torn Achilles tendon well Derek Dillon we've seen some flashes from in practice we have seen Alex Bachman show some flashes and Austin Mack and Benjamin Victor Benjamin, excuse me, were much more impressive in terms of their resumes coming in out of Ohio State, Paul. But I think it's also positive to see some of these other guys make names for themselves and make the most of their reps here in the early going. Look, I have to tell you, Lance, the entire wide receiving crew has impressed me. I don't think Benjamin Victor has dropped a pass either since he got here. And, you know, I get the fact that, uh, you know, it still doesn't count. And a lot of these are one-on-one drills. Some of them are ghost drills. Uh, Fine, fine. That's okay. Because I have seen guys come to summer camp, especially rookies, and they've got the flubs. It's just natural. Sometimes it's a little bit too big for them. And they'll start off very poorly. Remember Darius Slayton when he got here last year as a rookie? Oh, yeah. His rookie camp was really ugly. And I'm, I'm not trying to be mean. It was ugly. He had the case of the dropsies. It was all over the place. And, you know, but he was able to get himself in order and look at the terrific season that he had. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean anything about the guy's future, but it's certainly very reassuring to see that, these rookies and these first-year players, again, in the case of Bachman, he was a practice squad guy last year, to see these guys out here, even Sills, you know, they're all doing things very, very well. Everybody is executing, to me, at a high level in that receiver's room. And I'd rather see that than see somebody with the drop season say, well, you know, I hope he gets over it in a couple of weeks. Well, Quite frankly, he may not have a couple of weeks because he could get caught. Absolutely. They know that there's no luxury in terms of this offseason. But here's the thing. If these guys are performing at a high level and there's no preseason games, Paul, number one, it makes it that much more difficult for the coaches to determine who's the fifth and the sixth wide receiver. That's number one. Number two, 16 players on the practice squad. You're going to take a few wide receivers for the sake of injury, for the sake of coronavirus. So if all of these guys continue to perform at a high level, meaning consistency they're showing in practice, then once again, you feel good as a coaching staff, hey, whoever we choose for maybe the two or three spots we're going to hand over to receivers slash special teamers, we feel good about the substance that we're putting on the practice squad. So to me, that's a win-win no matter how you spin it. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. These guys understand that every single movement in practice is being graded. And because there are no exhibition games, is there any doubt that those are the kinds of things, as small as they might seem, as mundane as they might seem, it could simply be a drill that you happen to execute at a very high level as compared to the other guy who's flubbing it? That might mean the difference between you staying on the practice squad or getting a bus ride home. 
Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Thanks so much for tuning in. Multiple ways for you to interact with us here on the program, 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. You can also directly interact with us at Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. Let's open up the phone lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Rick is in Tampa, and he joins us here on the program. What's happening, Rick? Hey, Paulie and Lance. How are you today? Hi. Doing very well. What's on your mind? You guys doing good? You know, um, I, a couple things I want, uh, want to bring up, and uh, that's uh, getting closer to the season starting and with excitement builds. Um, first thing is, the whole the, everything I've been hearing about, everybody complaining on the media and stuff about how Joe Judge is doing his practices and all that stuff, I don't want to hear any more about that because there's nobody walking around on our team that has a Super Bowl ring or something who's, some elitist that says, oh, we can't practice, I'm not running laps. I don't want to hear nothing of it. We've been so bad under for so many years, so undisciplined, that I think it's great. And I'm Well, my I friend, think just remember where, where those complaints and comments are coming from, okay? I think that's important yeah. that you put that into proper perspective because they're probably coming from people who have not been around long enough to know what championship football was like in the old days before video game football kind of took over this league in the mid-90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. And every time I've heard it over the radio for the last couple of days, I've been getting sick thinking about it. But whatever he's going to do to get this team straightened up is what he needs to do. And I'm, I'm looking, and he's doing a great job so far. Uh, the other thing is, uh, Paul, when you were on with Joe and Evan yesterday, uh, you brought up Darnay Holmes, and um, I, when they drafted him, and I saw his uh, video and all that stuff, I was super excited. It just says he could be a great punt returner. He could do a lot of those things, and you made a comment about him as being really shining so far in the uh, uh, the, the preseason here in the camp. Um, where, where do you think they're going? To, uh, uh, where do you think he's going to find his home? And, and can he will he be returning punts and everything because he looked dynamic? And kickoff, um, when uh, the season starts, do you see that as uh, something that they're going to use him for? If I were to make an educated guess right now based on how well he has played in the slot during these early practice sessions, I would say he's the guy who's going to win that job. Now, whether or not they decide that he's going to be a return guy as well, I mean, you have a lot of guys who can return, and this is only a rookie now. They may not want to put a lot of those responsibilities on his plate, and again, there are a lot of other options to be the return guys, whether it's punts or kickoffs. However, I will say this. Don't be surprised if Darnay Holmes winds up being a guy who steps up as a gunner and someone who really gets down there on kick coverage on special teams because he certainly has all the attributes to do it. Right. Okay. Because I'm thinking that with the no, pre no uh, scrimmage games or, any, or I should say, no uh, preseason games and everything. The the kickoffs and the special teams like that are going to be something that are going to have to they'll probably change on the fly once they see how it's really uh, in real time and real action uh, that it's going. So hopefully we'll see him. But he's a dynamic player, and I agree 100%. He's going to be exciting. The other thing real quick is X-Man. What do you expect from him this year, uh, sack-wise? Uh, is he going to uh, shine or what? What do you think, Paul? Well, I would say this, and appreciate the phone call. Thanks very much. I would say this. It all depends, first off, on how many snaps he gets. I mean, Lance, I'll open this up to you because, quite honestly, we don't know what the rotation's going to be at outside linebacker, specifically on the weak side. Yeah, he had four and a half sacks last season. So when you're projecting his numbers, and he did play in all 16 games, but I would say that his reps really skyrocketed in the second half of the season. So you're 100% right, Paul. I mean, you have to get a better idea of how many reps is he going to get on a consistent basis, and is his snaps going to be even across the board, and are they going to keep him in in terms of the key pass rush down situations? So four and a half, remember, he had a two-sack game. Remember, perspective's important. It's not as if those were all spread out. If, if O'Shane Zimenez can give them five to six sacks, and, you know, Fackrell wasn't on the team last year, so, you know, if he could give you seven or eight, Golden hopefully could duplicate his success. It goes back to, this to me is going to be a piecemeal type of sack total. I would not expect, Paul, going into this season that you're going to have two or three guys with monster years. I think that if you can get a few guys that give you that five to six 
total, you know, that's how all of a sudden you get your sacks up near 40. But it's going to take more than just O'Shane Zeminez to get to that point. Let's be honest here. It's not just going to be a one-man wrecking crew this year. No, and I I think we've tried to explain this to people for a while, and I know very specifically I have said it's about what is the total production you get out of the position. That's what I'm interested in. I don't care about the individual numbers. Leave that to the fantasy football people. What I care about, if I'm the coach of the team, I want to see what's the production from the position. When you look at the Giants' snap counts from 2019, just to give you an idea of where guys like O'Shane Zimenez were as I bring these totals up, because I think that's at least a starting point. It doesn't mean that this coaching staff is going to look at these players the same way. Zimenez last year on defense played 45% of the snaps, 503 So in 45% of the snaps, he got four and a half sacks. Do we see him doubling his snap count? I'm not seeing him double his snap count, Paul, this year. Could he get into the 55% radius in terms of defensive snaps? I don't think that's asking for much. He goes up 10% this year. So if he goes up 10%, once again, to expect him to get nine sacks is, once again, I, I think living on another planet. That's why you have to say if Zimenez can duplicate and increase his total to that 5-6 category, I think that would be a step in the right direction. The other key is, remember here, you want to see if Paul Dexter Lawrence could get a few more sacks this year. Remember, it's all about the interior pressure too. Leonard Williams, once again, he hasn't been a big sack guy throughout the course of his career, but if Leonard Williams could get you three or four, hey, that's also how you get that total up. If Dexter Lawrence could get three, If you could get six between the two of them, that's where all of a sudden you take some pressure off of the edge rushers that maybe you were penciling or penning in for a specific total. Oh, I think that's a very good point, Lance. And let's not forget, too, Lorenzo Carter is in this mix, even though he's a strong side linebacker. You know, if all of a sudden the Giants are are getting big-time numbers, if if, let's say Lorenzo Carter, uh, for some reason they decide that he's going to be a big part of the the pressure package, even if he's going to be primarily a strong side guy. Look, if, if, if Fackrell can come close to getting 10 or 12 sacks like he's done once before in Green Bay, if Golden is getting double-digit sacks like he's done a couple of times in his career, well, the truth of the matter is you're probably going to go to the well to those guys in those obvious passing situations because if they've got a real chance to give you double digits, you, you're going to do it, and you're going to keep playing them, and that's going to eliminate some of the reps for Zimenez. I mean, you know, let's just be real about it. Coaches are going to play the hot hand. And maybe that's the best thing that could happen to the Giants. I've talked about competition a lot when I discussed the 2020 roster. Maybe the competition at weak side linebacker between Fackrell, Zimenez, and Golden for snaps is going to make each guy so incredibly hungry that they bring out the best in each other. There's no doubt about that. I mean, that would be the most encouraging result. Carter, by the way, he played 65% of the defensive snaps last year. In comparison to Zimenez, who I told you earlier, was at the 45% area. Well, they play so, different spots. Correct. Again, they one's play weak different side, spots, one's but, strong side. But with Fackrell in the mix now, and Fackrell also having a history with Patrick Graham, if Graham is more confident in putting him on the field in the early going, and to your point, Fackrell delivers – does that mean then Zimenez is getting less snaps? It's not crazy to think no, that way. it absolutely could happen. And because of that Graham-Fackrell connection with the Packers, you have to believe that there's less of a chance that Fackrell is going to be caught out of position or make a mental error than the other guys will. That's not to say that they can't be as good as Fackrell with their mental aspect of the game. But I'd say right now, because of, of that connection – he's probably going to be a little bit more sure of the plays than the other fellas would. And there's one thing you know about coordinators and head coaches, Lance. You know they don't like mental errors too much. That's why Joe Judge makes guys run penalty laps. Yeah, they got to put the guys on the field that they trust and that they believe are going to execute the plan. Now, in fairness, when Graham and Fackrell were together, it was Mike Pettin's scheme because he was the Packers' defensive coordinator. But your point is still well taken, Paul, that there's that trust factor between Graham and Fackrell. And also, Fackrell's a veteran. He's been in the league much longer than Zimenez has. So with less reps at practice and a shorter off-season period when you're on the field— you feel a lot more comfortable that Fackrell will be better adjusted to what's going to happen in week one, perhaps, than Zimenez. Let's reopen up the phone lines here at 
4513. Kevin is in Las Vegas. Welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us, Kevin? Hey, how you doing, uh, Paul and uh, Lance? Hi. Doing very well. What's on your mind? Uh, first time caller. Uh, love the show, though. I uh, wanted to Thank talk you. a little bit about Cam Brown, which we were kind of talking about the outside linebackers. Uh-oh. Uh, what's his chance to play a significant role this season? I mean, he looks good in the little clips I see on practice. Well, it didn't go so well yesterday. He, uh, he had some mental mistakes. And how do we know that? Because he was forced to run some penalty laps. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and it did not appear like uh, things were, were going so well for him. Now, having said that, he's got length. We've talked to his uh, coaches at Penn State on this program before. They love his work ethic. They love his effort. I mean, that's a common thread amongst all the Giants' draft choices these last couple of years. But having said that, uh, at the moment, it's been a little bit of a rocky start for him, and there are certainly uh, more experienced guys ahead of him on the depth chart. Right on. All right. Uh, I also wanted to, if it's okay, ask a couple more questions. One was about the QBs. So these are all great guys. You got DJ, Colt McCoy, they say is looking good. And then you got Alex and Cooper. Are they going to carry forward or somebody going to get cut? I mean, maybe it's too early to start talking about making the cuts yet, but. Well, well you I'll have just to say, the kind of like a great group of guys. Yeah, I'll just it. say Colt McCoy has had a good start to camp so far. He's thrown the ball well. But, Lance, I'll let you address the fact that from a strategic perspective, it does create a very interesting puzzle. Yeah, I think there's value in keeping three guys on the 53-man roster this year simply because of the injuries and the coronavirus. I don't think you want to have to worry about making a last-minute transaction on a daily basis. So the fact that Cooper Rush knows the offense, I think certainly gives him some leverage because every other quarterback doesn't have a history in the system. Colt McCoy is a polished veteran who's been in various schemes, and he has looked good. And then, of course, it's Daniel Jones. But I think the positive development, Paul, that you and I have talked about on this show is thanks to the new rules that they've implemented with the practice squad previously, Alex Tanney on the practice squad was wishful thinking. It just wasn't going to happen. Now, Alex Tanney can actually go to the practice squad. Yes. So I could see the Giants definitely keeping four total in some combination between the active roster and the practice squad, but I still think there is value in having three on the 53-man roster because of, number one, Cooper Rush's familiarity with the scheme and having an extra voice around Daniel Jones. And once again, just because you never know with travel and all of these other curveballs when injuries or the virus could strike. So to me, I think this is a year where I would expect most teams to keep three who have even tried to gotten away with two in previous years. I would agree with Lance on this one. The only small caveat that I would add to that is if, let's say, the Giants now with Cody Core going down and going to injured reserve with that Achilles, what if there is, let's say, a guy like him or like like there was Antonio Hamilton last year who really is a terrific special teams guy but doesn't seem to fit in anywhere else on the depth chart? He's basically just a special teams guy. You know, if you have to take a roster spot for someone like that and the Giants may decide they need to, it makes it a little bit of a squeeze to keep three. But I agree with Lance. I think you will, especially because you have the opportunity to take two practice squad guys every weekend and bump them up onto what becomes your 55 instead of your 53. Which is where you could put, by the way, a guy who you mentioned just classifies as a special teamer, Paul. That's a little bit easier to score on your practice squad, especially since you're not too worried about that player probably being claimed off of waivers if really he's only contributing to one facet of your team. Well, actually, there's another rule in place that we haven't really talked about on our program at all, and it only came to light to me a couple of weeks ago, and that is each team has the opportunity to protect four players on their practice squad week in and week out so they don't get poached by somebody else because the usual rules in the nfl is that you can poach a practice squad player from your team uh, from someone else's team as long as you sign him to your active roster that week well that's not the case now they're allowing every team to protect and freeze Four practice squad players who cannot be poached, which really makes what Lance just said even more palatable. Nice. Do you have another question, Kevin? Okay, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, one last one, and I'll wrap it up and take it off there for you guys. Uh, so during the draft, I was a little bit uh, depressed about the whole wide receiver situation, not taking one. But seeing as the unrestricted free agents we got look pretty good, we got David Sills, uh, Corey Coleman looks great. Unfortunately, like you said, Corey Coleman went down. Which of these guys, Victor, Benjamin, Austin Mack, or the kid from LSU, which of those guys do you think have a chance to make the team? Now, the LSU is more of a slot receiver. It looks like he's going to be playing, like, backing up uh, Sterling Shepard. Other guys might be on the outside because they're 6'2", and I think 6'5". I just wanted your thoughts on who has a legit chance to make the team. I know special teams is involved, injuries is involved, and it's a little early, but... It's too early to tell right now because all, all right, these Kevin, receivers thanks. have looked so good. Lance, we talked about it earlier in the program. The entire wide receiving depth chart has looked good. I mean, that's just a fact. There's no getting around it. I, I don't, you know, the only receivers who played themselves lower to the depth chart are the guys who they've already decided to get rid of over the last week and a half. I mean, even C.J. Board comes in after his cup of coffee with Jacksonville, and in the couple of days he's been here, he's caught everything thrown his way. I mean, that's that's how good these receivers are playing right now. See, I think with Cody Core getting hurt, not that special teams wasn't a point of emphasis when you discuss the five, six, seven guy, but now it becomes even more of a big looming question mark where the Giants may be saying to themselves, you know, how do we best determine, as we were starting the conversation of this program off, Paul, who the best potential gunner is, who the best potential cover guy is out of that group if, once again, you don't have preseason games to evaluate them. So I think that's where it gets tricky. I will say this. Victor has the height that separates him from the rest of the group. And he was a red zone, correct, red zone target at Ohio State. If you look at his film, he won one jump ball after another. So if the Giants' mindset is we want the guy that brings something different to the table – versus Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, and Darius Slayton, I would say Victor's your man. If you want the guy that is steady, who is going to move the chains, who's a hard worker, Austin Mack is, to me, the guy that comes to mind. I'll go further, Lance. Mack wins the 50-50 ball, and he can play all three wide receiver positions, the X, Y, and the Z, and he also blocks for the run. They're both great players. Listen, I like both of them coming out of Ohio State. I think it was great value that the Giants picked them both up. And who knows? You know, maybe they both make the roster. I don't they think could. right now it's well, crazy to say. I think both will be here yeah. one way or the other. I think both will be here, even if it's practice squad. I think they'll both be here. One other thing, by the way, as we're talking about the back end of the receiving core, we were asked a question about return men, especially since there were so many different individuals utilized. Remember, before he tore his ACL, and he's also done this in the NFL, Corey Coleman was one of those attractive options. Now, I don't know if they want to move him along, perhaps slowly, but I would not remove him from the equation, Paul. He's more than capable of serving as a return man this season. You know what? He's looked real good as a wide receiver so far. I don't sense that there's much, if any, loss to his speed, to his quickness, to his cutting ability. I mean, you watch him out there these days, and you never know that he was hurt. So, I mean, that to me is still an encouraging aspect that they could get some special teams work out of him. Just to give you an idea, by the way, last season, Cody Latimer, Corey Ballantyne, Darius Slayton, Jabril Peppers, Damari Scott, Golden Tate, and T.J. Jones. That's how many different players had at least a punt return or a kickoff return. Now, when you take into consideration, Scott's not an option. Lattimore's not an option. T.J. Jones is not an option. So Peppers, Slayton, Ballantyne, and Tate, who all had experience last season, are still on the roster. And then some of the new wide receivers, Corey Coleman, they at least have... Some guys to test during the course of the preseason. So, of course, which is revolving around going up against one another, I should specify. But that at least gives them some volume, Paul, to toy with. It's not as if it's one man who is going to be thrown out there, and if he's not impressive, they don't have at least other people that they can move in and out to see what they can do as a punt returner or a kickoff returner. Well, the key is the Giants actually have options now. 
they, they really can have an open competition and they can put a bunch of guys out there who they feel can do it. And now it's just a matter of what decision do they want to make. I would say this about Darnay Holmes in reference to the caller before. Holmes was only a, a regular kickoff returner his first year at UCLA. And he did okay. But then after that, they peeled back those duties because they wanted to get him exclusively on the boundary corner. So I'm not so sure that I'd be anxious to throw Holmes back out there to do it. Uh, Another reason, as I said, in addition to not wanting to necessarily overwhelm the rookie. So I I would kind of maybe shy away from him. There There are so many other guys that they could look to for those jobs. And those other guys, by the way, would not necessarily be getting a bulk of snaps on offense or defense where Holmes is in a different category because of Sam Beal and DeAndre Baker, where he may be thrown into a baptism by fire on defense. Some of the other names we mentioned, that's not the case, which is why perhaps they wouldn't want to use Holmes. But the good news, once again, is you got youth, you got some veterans. They'll be able to experiment in the early stages of the season before maybe they solidify who they want to utilize moving forward. All right, that is going to wrap up Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate the phone calls. Appreciate the interaction as always. Paul, enjoyed the conversation. Look forward to doing it again shortly. Absolutely, Lance. Good to talk to you again. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest news and notes. Big Blue Kickoff Live will be up and running again with Thursday's edition coming your way at 2 p.m. Eastern. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. We'll speak to you tomorrow. Have a good one.